Turn with me over to the book of Genesis. We're going to talk about today the struggle of birthing twins. The struggle of birthing twins. And as I get into this, um, I want you to know that this is not a series. I usually preach series. And this is not a normal sermon. I usually preach very exegetical and expositorially in my style. Just staying in the passage and telling you what the passage has to say and then applying it to you. But today I'm going to be preaching prophetically and allegorically. Everything I say I think is founded in what the Bible says in a larger capacity. But it, it doesn't say what I'm about to say specifically in this passage. I'm drawing some things out for your benefit. Yet I think they are huge for our progress. Huge. And so because I don't usually communicate like this, I'm asking that you listen better than you listened in, in past days. Please hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying because this is really important to us. Genesis chapter 25, 21 through 23. Genesis 25, 21 through 23. It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived but the children struggled within her. And she said, if it is so, why am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. Lord, help us, we study. Context. Isaac is the Isaac of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So Abraham is the father of the faith, as it's affectionately uh, been titled to him. He is the guy upon which redemptive history hinges in the Old Testament. He was called from a place called Ur of the Chaldees and told to go to a land that God would show him. And he didn't know what the land was nor where it was. But God just said, you keep walking in this direction, and when you're there, I'll tell you. And this land that I am showing you is going to be for you and your children. And it's going to be the place at which I begin to bless the world. Through your life and from this place, I will bless the world. The entire world will be blessed. And so we see Abraham being this very important figure in redemptive history. But everything that was going to happen through his life was going to happen not just through his generation in the time period that he lived, but through his generations, meaning through the successive folks that would come from his loins. And Isaac happened to be the first generation of those people. And Isaac is in the promised land. He's trying to carry out everything that God has, has told him to do through his dad. But the problem was he inherited the same blessing that his father did, meaning that he said, God told him, I'm going to bless you as you stay in this land through your children. So it wasn't just the blessing that came from Abraham to Isaac. The blessing was supposed to go through Isaac to the next, and then to the next, and then to the next. Well, Isaac wanted that. He, he desired that. The problem was he and his wife were barren. They didn't have any kids. And it had now been 20 years since they had been married. He got married at 40, and now he's 60. And so he cries out to God, realizing this. I, I can't do what you've called me to do unless you bless my wife with a baby. The only way this is supposed to happen is if it comes through my loins and my children inherit what I've inherited from my dad. 
And if I don't have any kids, I can't give it to anybody. It dies with me. And so I'm crying out to you. It says he cried out to the Lord on behalf of his wife. I want to talk to you on three points today. Barrenness, battle, and birthing. Barrenness, battle, and birthing. When you know you are supposed to bear something for God, and you have not or you feel like you cannot, it is not supposed to be a message to you that you won't. It is supposed to be a prompt that you are to cry out to him so you can. Are you listening to me? You are supposed to be fruitful in God, not just fruitful in the natural. We're not talking about stuff that you can birth on your own. You can go ahead and get a career going. You can get enough finances. You can figure out how to make your world the way it ought to be. But none of that might be spiritually motivated. It just may be the strength of your own hands and, 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 and the ingenuity that you possess. Spiritual things are birthed by spiritual means. The Spirit of God is the one who does things beyond you when things are birthed spiritually. And everything about what, what is happening with Isaac is covenantal in its orientation, meaning it came from God. Therefore, it must be birthed by God. It can't be birthed by me. And I'm convinced this is, this is why Abraham, his daddy, and his mama, Sarah, had the same issues in their life that Isaac did. It's not unusual for people who are called to do something supernatural and birth it to be barren. Not unusual. No fun, but not unusual. In fact, your barrenness could be a sign that you're about to give birth to something great. I mean, you really are in good company. If you are now barren, knowing that you are supposed to produce something for God, you're in great company. Sarah, barren. We don't know how long, but her first baby was at 90. We can generally say, that is late. <laughs> That's late. Long time being barren. We don't know how old Rebecca was when she got married, but we do know that her husband married her at the age of 40, and they waited 20 years. That's a long time to wait for what comes natural to most. And what did both parties have to do? Cry out to God. And what did God do? The miraculous. What he is going to birth through you for his will and his purposes has to be miraculous, y'all. It can't just be by the strength of your own might. It's miraculous. So if you are barren, you're in good company. You're right in line with the covenant. But you cannot sit there and begin to say, well, it's my portion to be barren. No, no, no. How about Hannah? Hannah, barren. Mad she can't have any children. Disappointed she's not pleasing her husband. Nothing's happening. She cries out to God. Wow, what a baby. Samuel wasn't half bad. No recorded sin mentioned of this guy. We have his entire life of ministry. Doesn't mean he didn't sin. Just means that God said, eh, not worthy of mentioning. Wow. I think God might share everything about me. I think he might. I think he made every, every issue. I mean, how much do we know about Peter? You know more about Peter's failings than you do his successes. Nothing mentioned of Samuel. How about Zechariah and Elizabeth? New Testament. Elizabeth, Zechariah, elderly, gone. They are already figuring out how to retire in Tampa. They bought their home down there. They're ready to move. And then all of a sudden, Zechariah's in the temple. He's worshiping as he should. And the angel shows up and says, I've heard your prayer. And Zechariah said, well, which one? Which one did you hear? 
Your wife's going to have a baby. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. We prayed that 50 years ago. That, 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 you, no, no. We wanted it back then. What do you mean now? Me and the missus, we're moving to Florida. Are you kidding me? What a baby. John the Baptist, not bad. Not bad. Forerunner of Christ. Wow. If you are barren, you're in good company. But your barrenness should not be the sign that somehow you won't. You got to cry out to God that he might do a miracle in, in that which mostly seems natural for everybody else. Barrenness is a prompt. God, I can't progress the covenant unless you do something. I can't bring about your will unless you do something in me. I can't make this happen. Cry out. Now, this, this, this is what we see in Isaac. We, we probably believe that Abraham had the same kind of prayer that Isaac prayed to God on behalf of his wife that he, meaning Abram, would have prayed on behalf of his wife, Sarah. We, we believe so, but we don't have any record of it. We just know that Sarah was barren. Now, we do know that Abram had a, had a conversation with God where God came to him after he had delivered uh, Sodom and Gomorrah from these four kings to the north and his nephew Lot back into his care. Uh, God comes to him and says, don't worry about the battle through which you just went. I know you're a newcomer to the promised land, and now people are going to think you're a threat that needs to be dealt with. But don't worry about it. I'm going to be your shield, and you're not going to have any problems here. You had to go rescue your nephew. You had to go to war. We get that. But I'm going to be your shield. You're not going to have any problems. Secondly, I'm going to be your great reward. Though you gave up everything that Sodom wanted you to have in terms of spoils, and that he won the battle, and to the victor belonged the spoils, though you gave it every, every bit of it back to Sodom, I want you to know, I'm your reward. And I'm going to bless you. And, and that to, to which Abram says this. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, I really am, God. That's a good thing. Uh, but, but, but what good is stuff going to do for me if I don't have anybody to give it to? I don't have an heir. My closest kin is actually my servant, Eleazar. He's going to inherit everything I've got. That doesn't make any sense. I don't need any more stuff. I don't need any more rewards if i got nobody to give it to. That is the only conversation that we see Abram having with God with respect to his wife, Sarah, not having any kids. But it's not like Isaac's. Abram's was more of a conversation slash reminder complaint. <laughs> Isaac's was this. God, do something. Spent 20 years, and you have called me to be the inheritor of what my daddy had, and I can't do it unless I have a child. I'm begging you. Let me fulfill your will by this promise. Bring something through my wife's womb. That kind of crying out. God said, oh, that's what I've been waiting for right there. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's no longer about you. It's not about you strumming the strings of your, your soul for significance, feeling like you matter on the planet now. Now it's all about me and my will work through your life. Ah, I hear that cry. And see, the good thing is this. When you are barren and you realize fruitfulness has not come from you spiritually and you begin to cry out to him, he always answers. He answers. Why? 
Because basically you are in line with his will, asking him for that which he already wants. This is what Jesus says in John 15. If you ask me anything in my name, I want you to know, have confidence, I will do it. Now, the more simple-minded, look at this passage and, and think it reads this. Oh, I can get what I want as long as I slap the name of Jesus on that prayer. Lord, she looked good to me. I want her. Give me her. I want that job. I want that house. I want that car. That's not what that means. That means this. If you ask me anything that is under the authority of my name, which represents my will, I'll do it for you because I've already ordained it to be done. This is why you need to read your Bible every day so you know what his will is so you can pray his will into your life rather than praying your will because <laughs> he's not going to answer your will. <laughs> now, let me say this. You're going to be happy. Uh, I'll say it the other way. If he does answer your prayer, prayer that is your will, you're going to pray another prayer that says, I take it back. I, I take it back, Lord. Please fix this. I, I, this isn't what I wanted. Because you don't know what you need. You don't know what tomorrow holds. You don't know how this situation might change. And now this is ancillary to your purpose. You really don't need this. Or it might, it might just hurt you and you don't know it. We are limited. He's not. And so to pray his will saves us a lot of effort and time. So we ask him according to his will. And you've got to read your Bible every day to know what his will is. And, and it, 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 in fact, what would help is if you pray with your Bible in hand. One of the prayers I pray on a regular basis is Psalm 112. I have it memorized. But it allows me the privilege of attending to my personal life as well as my family and you all. And making sure I'm staying in the will of God with my prayers. How blessed is the man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on the earth and the generation of the upright will be blessed. See, that's where I begin to pray for my kids. And the first part, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Lord, I want to fear you today. I want to make sure that you are the one I'm concerned about pleasing the most. I want your opinion to be primary, nobody else's. I want to hear well done when I put my head on the pillow. I fear you today more than anybody else. And I delight in your commands. I don't just want to follow them because I got to. I'm happy that I get the privilege of walking in the steps of your word. Wow, what a joy. What, what a thing. You called me to do it. This is how I pray. But I'm praying according to what the Bible has to say because I realize if he's already said it to be so, then he's got to want it to be true in my life. So I'm praying in, in agreement. Isaac was praying in agreement with what God wanted to do in his life. Give me a baby. Give me a baby because this covenant has to go through me, not just to me. And God answered his prayer. Barrenness can be fixed with respect to spiritual fruitfulness by you crying out to God, crying out to him. Therefore, he gets all the glory when it happens. But then the battle happens because when you cry out to God, for him to make you fruitful. And I'm going to confine this, this statement to this passage because it's important that you get it. This is where I'm getting into the prophetic. You'd be surprised on what he gives you. 
Because Rebecca was. Remember, there were no sonograms back then. Now, we know the story from the end, so we know she, she had twins. But she didn't know that. So she knew she was pregnant. She was really happy. No more cycle, pregnant. But somewhere in the neighborhood of month four to six, something's happening in her belly. And she doesn't know what to do. And maybe it went all the way to, to month nine, where by month eight, she's crying out saying, can you take these people quick? Let them be preemies. I'll be fine with that. This is killing me. The pregnancy was so horrible that she cried out to God and said, if, if this is supposed to be the way it's supposed to be for me, why is it so bad? She has no idea that there are two in her belly. Everybody else she's known who's been pregnant probably, it's been a joy, a little morning sickness, but this glow was on their lives. And they went through pregnancy. It was so wonderful. They got through the first trimester, and the last, the middle one was great, and the last one was uncomfortable, but then they were so happy. It was just, I'm experiencing none of that. <laughs> this is painful. So painful was it that she cried out to God like her husband did. For her to have a baby, she cried out to God and said, help me with this. This makes no sense. And if this is what pregnancy is, thank you for only doing it once for me. Because <laughs> this is horrible. So bad was it that we don't see any other pregnancy dealt with in Scripture like this one. We see other people having twins. But we don't see anybody crying out to God like she cried out to God in discomfort while she was pregnant. Nobody. That's how bad it was that God recorded it. And, and, and the Lord speaks to her about what's happening. You, you got two nations in your womb, and one will be, will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. <laughs> On the basis of that information, can you imagine what happened when she heard? I mean, again, we know the end of the story. But she's sitting there thinking, there's something going on and I don't know what. And, and it doesn't seem like this is a good pregnancy. There's no fun in this. There's no joy. There's no nothing that I like. This is terrible. And then God says, you got two. She goes, two? I, I, got, I, got, I got twins. I got Woo! Oh, thank you. Ouch. Mm, that one hurt. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. She ran to her husband. Baby, I, I got you. God just, I, I'm pregnant. But I got two. No. Yeah, two. How do you know? God talked to me. God talked to you. You got two. You got two. Woo, woo, woo. Double blessing, 20 years. Thank you, Lord. I got two. They were so happy. So happy. And then the other part of the prophecy comes in. Two nations. One's strong in the other. The older will serve the younger. When you cry out to God because of your barrenness, don't be surprised if he gives you twins. And let me tell you what the twins are. Now, this is where it gets allegorical, but I'm going to support it by what the passage says. It's my subjective reading on what God is trying to speak over the overall principle that is outlined in this passage because number one 
God could have had these babies come out in whatever order he wanted. If Jacob was actually going to be the inheritor, why not have him birth first? That would have been easy. Believe me, for God, it's just like a pinky, just switch. But why have the younger be the one who's the inheritor and the older serve the younger when God knows that he could switch it the other way around and not have to give that kind of prophetic word, not have to give an answer like that to Rebecca? Just switch him then. No, 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 no. There's something I think God wants to communicate to us larger than just what he communicated to Rebecca about birth order. And the idea about you birthing twins is this, that there are two things that are the overarching principles of your life that will govern all that you do in Christianity, everything you do to serve God, two things. And they start with the covenant. The covenant is the thing that God has established from the time that he made Adam, when he thought about making the earth and all of mankind in his image, he thought about this covenant, this promise that he was going to give his man about being there for him and carrying him through life. Adam blew it, and there was a detour in the covenant, but God never rescinded the covenant. He just amplified it and said, I'm going to do it like this now. It wasn't plan B. It was just the, the plan. And he said, I'm going to bring about my will, but it's going to come through different means. It's going to come through death. It's going to come through pain. But the joy at the end is going to be worth it. Man blew it in the garden. He disobeyed God and gave all that God created to the enemy, to Satan. The authority in the earth now came through the enemy. And God has been working around that thing because he's a God of order and working through man in order to do it because God did not want to circumvent the authority that he gave man. He wanted to use man to be the one that would overthrow the enemy in the process. This is why Jesus, when he comes to the earth and he said, if I cast out, now he did miracles and he preached really well, best preacher ever, Jesus was. And he did miracles just like the prophets and beyond them. But he said this, nobody that you see in the Old Testament has done what I'm about to do. If I cast out devils by the, by the finger of God, know this, the kingdom has come. Different than any other prophet had ever done. Any other uh, judge, any other king. He said, I come doing it like this. I can duplicate their ministry in the miraculous, but none of them did this. I cast out devils. Why? Because I'm bringing the covenant in its full bearing to this world. And the kingdom is going to be manifest by the fact that I have authority as a man as a man over the enemy. Nobody's had this much authority since Adam had the opportunity in the, in the, king, in the, in the garden. I do now. Mm, covenant and power. He's trying to take everything back. The whole world and all of mankind. Redeeming it all. So his mindset has been covenant all the way through. Covenant just means the promise that he gives to man to, to, to make things right and to bring his will. It's a, it's a vehicle through which he brings his will into the earth. Unalterable is it. And he makes sure it happens even if we are reluctant to see it happen. This is the bigness of our God. Even when you, even when you were running from him, how'd you wind up here? Except he just kept chasing you. He said, that's okay. Keep running. <laughs> You'll get tired real quick. I don't. Even when we don't do right, he does. That's what Paul told Timothy. Even when we are not faithful, he is, for he cannot deny himself. 
<laughs> covenant. And there are two aspects to the covenant in your life. And these are the twins to whom you must give birth. One, the covenant as it's worked through your personal and, and individual progress. As you see redemption and, and character and power coming through your life to fix everything that you have done wrong. And that's usually the first thing that comes. I mean, when you came to know Jesus, generally it, it happened like this. Lord, I need saving. I have driven my life into the ditch. I've made really bad decisions. My, my, my career is in jeopardy. My health is bad. My kids are messed up. My family's a, a wreck. My marriage, I don't know what to do with it. My, I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I don't know where to turn. I need help. Not only save me, but give me some purpose for living. Isn't that the reason most of us come into this thing? It's because we know we have a need, and we know that Jesus is the only one who can meet it. Nobody can touch these areas. And this is the aspect of the covenant, the application of the covenant to our own personal lives. And then because of that, we begin to think, okay, now I've got a, a reason for living. And we begin to, to, to and now and what I'm about to say might seem a little radical, but it's important. We begin to, to dangerously kind of make God our, our personal bellhop. God, I need. Lord, I'm really in desperate need now. Could you come help me, please? Ding, ding. Lord, I need you to help me be this. I need you to fix this. And because of our Western mindset, we've almost reduced the passage of Scripture which talks about God's bigness and his thinking for the world. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. We've almost reduced it to, for God so loved me that he sent him for me. And I'm not, that, listen, this is how I came to Jesus. I needed help. I was a mess. I couldn't fix myself. I desperately needed saving. It's all good. But you just have to remember that when you get birthed and you begin to birth, you've got twins. The other is this. How in the world you begin to care for the world? How do you take this covenant blessing and be like Isaac, who was not just trying to get a child for him. He was trying to get a child to bless the world. To carry on the covenant of God so that the world could be blessed. What does it mean for you to now think about others before yourself? How in the world am I going to make my Christianity matter to everybody else around me? What do I think about my actions today and how they affect my grandchildren? My grandchildren have to inherit something. What are they going to inherit? How should I live today thinking that my children are going to be directly impacted by my obedience or my disobedience? It's not about you anymore. It's about everybody else. When you cry out to God as a result of your barrenness, he gives you twins. Your own personal well-being as you bear fruit and then the fruit you need to bear for everybody else. Are you listening to me? Now, the problem is those two things battle. You got right with God, things are going well. You love coming to church and being in the worship and listening to Pastor Brad. Boy, it's just really good. You're just soaking it all in. This is wonderful. And then somebody gives you, 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 you get an email. Uh, we would like you to serve in children's church. 
Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> we'd like you to serve in children's church. Uh, we need you to serve at least once a month, but we'd like you to serve twice a month for all three services. And um, we need you to, to commit for a year. Lord, if it be so, why am I this way? This is painful. I don't like the way this feels. How am I supposed to grow? If I have to give myself to little people who don't even know my name. (laughs) They don't care about me a bit. They're not going to remember me next year. How, God? The war. The war. Battle. <laughs> you say, well, Brad, well, how in the world did you jump from the, the, that to that? I mean, you, you, I understand that she had twins, but how in the world did you jump from that twin thing being the, the personal destiny and then the application of the covenant to the corporate responsibility? How do you do that? Well, this is as I close how I got there. The two boys that were born, Esau and Jacob, very different human beings. They were not identical. They were fraternal twins. It says that Esau came out. He was all fuzzy red and hairy. I guess Rebecca gave birth to an Ewok. <laughs> mm-hmm. Jacob was real smooth. But, but Esau, whew, he was a man's man. He was on the cover of Outdoor Life. He was the first pick in the NFL draft. He could run down a deer without a four-by-four. He was amazing. And boy, Isaac liked that. (laughs) When When he went to get food, he didn't go to Safeway. He went hunting. That's the truth. That's the truth. All the other stuff made up, obviously. That's the truth. Though Isaac knew that his younger son was supposed to be the inheritor, he gravitated toward that testosterone. That's a man right there. That's a man. He's my firstborn. I love the way he lives. On the edge, always trying to figure out how to dominate, control, exert strength and power. That's what I like in a man. Jacob was a shepherd. No difference in quality between the two lifestyles, just different. He was a man who cared for the sheep, liked to be at home a little bit more. Didn't really strum the heartstrings of his father with respect to manhood, though he was no less a man. Jacob's sitting down eating dinner. Esau comes home from an unsuccessful hunt. Esau sees that Jacob's got some food. Esau says, can you give me some of that stew? I'm hungry. I haven't, I've been out three days and no food. I'm starving. Jacob says, uh, oh, yeah, no problem. Just give me your birthright. Now, I'm going to take a little detour. You ought to be encouraged. If your family is imperfect, that's okay. <laughs> because God can do stuff. Who does what Jacob did? Who does that? If my brother calls me and says, listen, you go to McDonald's, pick up some fries. I don't say, give me your birthright. (laughs) Who does that? Really dysfunctional household. 
really dysfunctional. But what it does show about Jacob is that he loved the idea of birthing something for somebody else. He loved the big picture. Give me your birthright because I want my kids to inherit something great. I want their kids to inherit something great. I can't do that without your birthright. I want to carry on daddy's tradition. I want to carry on the covenant that was passed down from my grandfather. Give me your birthright. He may not have done it well. In fact, he didn't. The methods that he chose were poor. He leveraged a weakness in his brother in order to get what he wanted. That's horrible. That's not brotherly love. But it shows how much he desired something. How much do you desire to bless the world? To Esau's discredit, he says this. Okay. What good is a birthright to me if I'm dead? Now, you know what we call three days without eating around here? (laughs) Fasting. (laughs) Nobody dies after three days of not eating. But he cared so little for his birthright and so much for his own well-being that he gave up and let something that shouldn't be a priority be a priority. He gave up that which could bless his children. He laid aside an inheritance for his grandchildren, all because he wanted to meet an immediate need in his life. He said to the children's minister workers, no, thank you. I need to hear Pastor Brett. (laughs) To which I can rightly derive this principle. The thing that is birthed first in your life is that which causes you to cry out to God for your own personal needs. That's how you got into this thing, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing that you can petition God to get your own life helped, but you have to put it in right priority because that is the firstborn, but you got twins. There's also something he birthed on the inside of you that says your life is to be given away for the benefit of others. And those two things will battle on the inside of you forever unless you let the older, that which is born first, serve the younger. Are you listening to me? And the two brothers represented those priorities. One was in it for himself. The other was in it for everybody else. Which are you going to be? And too often, we sanctify our selfish ambition and put over it all kinds of things about what God wants to do for us. And it's really just our own insecurity of getting what we want. Jesus said it like this. And it's all throughout Scripture. You'll find this all throughout Scripture said different ways. But he said it like this in Matthew 6. Don't be like the Gentiles. Brett's paraphrase who think about the firstborn. Don't be like the Gentiles who always are looking for for how to get their needs met, whether they're going to eat today or whether they're going to have the right clothes to wear. He said, don't be like them. You be different. Don't worry about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you shall wear. But you first seek what? 
the bigger picture of the kingdom and watch how I will do what? My Father will make sure everything else is provided for you. Big picture first. You let the older serve the younger. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Your greatness is beyond words. I'm asking that you would pour out your goodness on us so that we can live these principles well.